honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. My name is Chandler Lahosky, and on this episode of Strange on Purpose, I sat down with Deidre Raymer, who is the Director of uh, Leadership and Learning at the West Alice, West Milwaukee uh, School District. And to me, this is something that's really interesting about the uh, evolution of the school district and why it's so necessary that uh, these changes need to be made so students are more focused on cross-subject collaboration and really getting a better understanding of the uh, entire picture of uh, what it's like in the real world, so to speak, after you graduate. Uh, these students are working on projects that are, like I said, cross-subjects. So they're working on, for example, um, if they're doing a play in one of their classes, they're working with the math, uh, math instructors to figure out the math for the, uh, the play set itself. And then in their tech ed shops, they're actually constructing these play sets in that class. And it all is very immersive and collaborative. And it's really cool to see um, that these changes are being made and that West Alice is taking the lead on implementing these changes. Um, kind of revamping the education system is no easy task, and it's uh, awesome that they are uh, taking the steps to, to radicalize and implement these changes for the next generation. So uh, I'm personally really excited about this episode, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. Enjoy. Welcome to the Strange On Purpose podcast. My name is Chandler Lahosky, and today I'm here with Deidre Raymer, the Director of Leadership and Learning from the West Alice, West Milwaukee School District. I'm really excited to have her on today, so thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So uh, let's start off by just giving a little bit of like background info for what you do at, the, at with the West Alice School District as a whole. Sure. Um, my title is the Director of Leadership and Learning, which is super vague, especially to people who don't work in education. Um, so it means that I'm in charge of all of curriculum and instruction. So things that are instructional materials that happen in classrooms. Um, I am in charge of our teacher professional development. I oversee all of our student services work. So all of our work around a lot of our mental health initiatives and our mental wellness for our kids. Um, I oversee special education services. Um, so all of our children who are identified as students with special needs. And then I also oversee um, a lot of our principal coaching. So we are about 8,200 students. Um, we serve a geographic area that goes all the way from just bordered to Milwaukee um, in West Milwaukee, all the way to New Berlin. I have one school that's actually in New Berlin. Um, so we serve this really wide geographic area um, and we're pretty diverse, which we're really excited about and proud of. And so we're working really hard to honor that in the work that we do and try to figure out how to best meet the needs of all the kids we serve. Yeah. And I imagine that's a bit of a struggle, a tall, tall task on how to juggle all of that. Yeah, I jokingly say people, when I tell them what my job is, make the face, um, because frequently the job that I do is, is a lot of different people's jobs in other places. And we consolidated the job a few years ago to meet a financial need. We'd had a really hard financial roadblock. Um, 
and needed to figure out how to do that with taking the least amount of resources away from kids in classrooms. So we reduced many of the positions in our district office, which meant the job I had that year also included parts of HR. Um, so it was even broader than it is now. Um, and at the time, it was to meet a financial need, but frequently out of a crisis comes an opportunity. And it suddenly became we were making all the decisions on behalf of kids and families and teachers from one spot. So instead of special ed making this decision and regular ed making this decision, or instead of somebody making a decision around teacher professional development day that may conflict with the decision of another person, now it's all filtered through my office and through my team. Um, and it's had a huge impact on us getting cohesive around the work we're trying to do. And I have this amazing team that works with me that makes that work possible. Um, but usually when I tell people from other school districts, they make what I call the face. Like, how do you do all how that? Is yeah. that? How is that one person's job? And I say, ooh, time out. It's actually amazing. Um, and it's helped us, I think, get on track with a lot of the things that we're trying to do because we're not siloed in some of our thinking. Sure, sure. Let's take a few steps back and talk about you and how you got involved in education to begin with and why you chose that path. Sure. Um, so I was raised by a teacher. My dad was a um, Catholic school teacher. He was a physical education teacher and a basketball coach. So I spent a great majority of my childhood in a gym. Um, and then my mom was part of a family business. So my grandparents had 10 kids and we all worked at the family business at one point. All the kids and the grandkids um, it very recently closed its doors. Um, so it was a big deal for our family. But in that household, we were just sort of a family that did everything together and we were really unified in what we were doing. Um, my dad was a teacher and so we went to parochial school all the way through and I had a pretty traditional suburban upbringing. Um, and then I went to College of Madison and did, I was in a school psych program learning how to be a school psychologist because um, kids and the way they think always fascinated me and I had to do a field placement, so I went out to a school, and I noticed some kids that I thought, hmm, why are they sitting by themselves, and who's working with those kids? And it turned out they were kids identified with an emotional and behavioral disability that um, weren't always included and served in the regular population, and that's where it started. So I went back and changed my major and to work with kids with emotional and behavioral disabilities um, and dove right in and found a passion area for urban, low-income education that um, I've stuck with most of my career. I spent one year working in an affluent suburban school district in Minnesota when we moved around quite a bit. Um, and where, I enjoyed, where in Minnesota? Uh, I'm from Minnesota. Oh, I was in Lakeville. Okay. Yeah. Um, I loved my time there and I worked with some amazing people and I learned a ton. Sure. But my heart and my passion is working in populations that are historically underserved. Sure. So um, I had the opportunity to move back to Wisconsin after that. And so I've been with the West Dallas, West Milwaukee School District ever since 2005. Um, and I had a few stints along the way where I taught in Iowa for a year and I taught in Hawaii for a year um, and I taught in Illinois for a couple of years. So I've kind of been all over a little bit I, I'm more so than usually teachers get the opportunity yeah. to do so. And I've landed here and I love it. So this is where I'm fit to be and, and meant to be for a while. And I imagine that helps, you know, with you and what you're doing at West Alice right now with all like the deeper learning, kind of getting a taste from all those other school districts mm -hmm. of what works, what doesn't work. Um, how has that played a role into um, kind of this overhaul, revamp, if you will, of what you're doing with West Alice? 
Um, it's played a big role. So you, the more you get to see, the more you learn, right? So I think in the work that we're trying to do now, much of that got driven years ago by some people who worked in our school district um, who had some brilliant ideas around personalized learning. And they were really, really good ideas. Um, and we struggled with some of our implementation as a school district. And so some of what was out there in some of that work was a struggle. And so um, we had teachers who were having a hard time buying into what was right for kids around a personalized approach to some of their learning. Um, and then our superintendent, who we have now, Dr. Marty Lexman, who's amazing, um, he came to our school district. This is his fifth year then and started saying, well, we have to stop looking at school from what's wrong with what we do. And we have to start looking at what's possible for kids. So what are the opportunities for students that we could be providing that we're not by approaching our work through a more traditional lens? And then how does that help us frame and shape our equity gaps? So it was a new lens for me to think about the work through, um, and it's been super powerful. So not only do some of my experiences where I moved around, um, I taught in schools where I was the only classroom held in the basement of a school because I worked with the really tough kids with behavior problems, which tended to be primarily African-American males, and were the only class held in the basement of the school. So it taught me a lot around really getting to know people for who they are and figuring out how to serve them best in a school. So that kind of moving around and some of those experiences helped. Now that we're framing our work through that equity lens, I think the opportunities I get now to go and see other school districts or go and figure out who's doing this work, who's closing those equity gaps for kids, especially our African-American population and our students with disabilities, who's already doing that work and how do we go and learn from them so that we can say, okay, that's a piece of what they do. And how do we get that to fit into what we do, which is a little different approach than trying to get everybody to kind of do the same thing. We've got a lot of flexibility now around understanding what we hold in common, but then there's lots of things that are a classroom-based decision or a school-based decision that might look different from school to school. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it's definitely like a case-by-case scenario. So depending on what different teaching methods that different teachers have and depending on how long that they've been experienced teaching and whatnot, I imagine it's quite sometimes difficult to get them on the the same page or really buy in on that. Um, how, How do you go about doing that? And, you know, the ones that aren't quite there yet. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you get them on, on track? Um, you show them people who do that work well and you celebrate the hack out of the early adapters. Sure. Um, that's kind of been our MO for the last couple of years. I have never once met a teacher who said, oh, today I'm going to go to school and make kids not feel good, right? Like nobody wakes up in the morning and says, that's what I'm going to do today. No teacher went into school and said, went into teaching because they thought, oh, I know, I'll, I'll be a part of creating an equity gap. Right. Like nobody did that. So everyone that works for us, everyone that works in education has that heart and that passion for what we're trying to do. You have to figure out what's the roadblock then to try to help them understand that a far more authentic learning experience than maybe a traditional desks and rows and textbooks and worksheets approach is show it to them help them along the way, see what's possible, and then support them when some of what they're going to try is absolutely not going to work. And that's the, where the learning happens. So that's the approach we've taken for the last couple of years is really to invite people into the process to learn at a deep level. We take a lot of teachers to site visits other places and let those teachers influence our teachers. 
Because what I may go to see at another school that's doing some of this work from my lens in a district office lens is really different than what a third grade teacher will see another third grade teacher do. Then my job becomes, oh, what did you see today? And help them reflect on that and then help them realize what they can bring back into their classroom. And then what support can I provide you to make sure that that happens and that you actually do it and you stick to it. Um, So we offer a ton of optional professional development for teachers and book studies that help us set that why behind why looking at our deeper learning work um, and how to get kids into those authentic, real life learning experiences every day Mm -hmm. is so important. And then we do project-based learning boot camps in the summer. We have a deeper learning course that teachers can take so that they understand the what and the how of that. You know, once you know the why, you just need somebody to show you how and then give you the tools for the what. So those pieces wrap back around to give some of those other parts so that teachers can continue to grow. And then we really spend a lot of time following up with the teachers who are trying something and saying, hey, thank you for trying something new. That was a disaster. That's okay. Right. Whoa. What do we now know that we didn't know for the next time? Or that was amazing. Um, And we're finding that sometimes when you inspire the kids and get out of their way, they can do things that you never would have thought possible. Yeah. How is the kid? That's another question I want to ask you. How are the kids responding to this? Because like myself personally, I wish that like when I was in uh, any like kindergarten, elementary school, high school, even that we were doing this project-based yeah. learning. And that's something that I got a taste of a couple of years ago. And I was like, wow, like, this is like, this is a game changer. So uh, I'm curious as to how the other kids are responding to this. Um, it's pretty amazing. I yeah. mean, when you, we do a lot of work around empathy. Um, and so how do we start listening to our learners more? So we open a lot of our professional development with learner panels where the kids are saying, hey, this is where I feel successful in school. This was the time school was hard for me. And this was the kind of help I needed. Here's what my learning experience looks like. Um, And sometimes we bring in panels of kids for whom we got it wrong and they get to teach us a ton around where we could have maybe done something different for them along the way so that they didn't end up needing a credit recovery high school when they got older or so that they didn't end up dropping out of school or things like that. So we listen to those learners and then we listen to a lot of learners for whom we're already doing this kind of work. So what's the difference in what you hear in the learner experience from this one to this one to this one. Um, Our most recent learner panel was a group of students who participated in the African-American Male Initiative through Concordia. Um, So we're in a consortium called the Closing the Achievement Gap Consortium, which is a lot of school districts in our area that are all philosophically trying to do the same work. Um, And that panel of five young men talked to us about what does it feel like to be a black male in our schools? And The cool part about really listening to our learners is they always tell us a lot of things we're doing well. And so we always take a few minutes to say, stop and think about that. What did they tell us that we were doing really well? And then they give us some growth areas that sometimes are really hard to hear. Um, And but when you really fire people up by them hearing that directly from a learner, people are very quick to say, what do I do next? Like, how do I not let that experience happen to someone else? Um, So we have teachers doing those empathy interviews all over town right now. That was homework from one of our professional developments was to go and talk to kids and say things like, tell me a time you felt successful in school. Tell me a time school was hard for you. Tell me what what, what three words that you would use to describe this school if you had the opportunity. And what would you want teachers to know about you that they don't already know? 
And then you can add, ask a variety of questions. And when you get all of that information back, it tells you a pretty good story of, oh, what's interesting is a lot of our kids are telling us they felt successful in school, especially as they get older, when they were in an elective course. Mm-hmm. Right? So they'll say, oh, the time I was in the play, even a, a or in my CTE class, we did, we built autos and we did these things. You want them to say, oh, it would be hard for me to pick. Yeah. Um, and so we're using that information to really drive forward. Our littlest ones that are doing this work, we have some five and six-year-olds right now working with the city of West Dallas on some rebranding, um, which would seem like an odd thing for five and six-year-olds to do. It turns out they are amazing at this work. Um, so they recently went down to 88.9. They're starting a student podcast. So they went down to 88, nine. Five and six years yes. old and they're going. That is yeah. so amazing. Um, That's so neat. Yep. <laughs> so I asked the teachers to take that on. And at first it was sort of like, I like, what? I'm like, I think it's going to be amazing. And if it's not, we'll figure it out. Um, so the kids went down to 88, nine to learn about their podcast. And they learned about writing jingles. And now they're working on like writing an opening and doing all of these things. So when you go into that classroom it is hard not to feel energized. And you ask five and six-year-olds, like, what did you learn about today? I learned how to run a radio station. Oh, oh okay. Tell me more about that. Right? I haven't even done that. Tell me. You tell me what would that be? Um, so it's really, really cool. And some of our, we had some of our sixth graders, so that's about 12 years old, go to a national conference to be on a learner panel, similar to the ones we do in district. And a national speaker asked the question, why is personalized learning so important? And it was a room full of superintendents and principals and teachers. And the first one to answer that question was a sixth grader from one of our classrooms because um, she gets it. Yeah. You know, she said, I got that chance to I closed my own math gap. Why? Because I finally understood why math was important. It's all about that applicable learning, right? Yes. Well, the applied learning, I guess, if you will. Yeah. And that's what, to me, I think is the really the most fascinating part about this deeper learning and project-based learning is tapping in and helping students, if they don't already know what their passion is, introducing them to these new yep. new concepts and things that they might not ordinarily know exist or are out there. So I think that's, that's so phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and a really important part about that deeper learning work is that there are six competencies within it that we've chosen. to. That's what we're holding in common across 18 schools. And one of them still is content mastery because kids still have to know how to do stuff. Right. They have to have a, a content knowledge that goes beyond a basic Google search if they're going to use information to do something with it. So that is still an important part of our work. But our kids collaborating and really their communication skills on going public. Um, lots of our schools have public showcases now or our students are required to present what they learned to an outside business agency who might not otherwise know what we do in school. And the passion and the empowerment that kids feel when you give them those opportunities is amazing. When we did our student-led businesses, one of the proposals was from our project-based learning high school. And it's a panel of four students who clearly were really nervous. So it's me and the rest of the directors who are like the big shark tank that was sitting there to say, oh, will we fund your business or not? Um, And the more one of the learners started talking about why that was important to him, he slid his hood down and he started looking at us in the face and he started the communication skills. He stood up taller. And when you watched him come out of his shell, when he talked about something he was interested and passionate about that could translate into math and science and social studies and English skills, I was like, well, that's it right there. Click. Right there. 
Um, because some of the other competencies around problem solving, that's embedded in that and being self-directed. You know, our kids are going to go out into a world where they're going to change careers multiple times. So that's not, I became a teacher and then I went to work at five schools. That was, I was a teacher and then I decided to become a EMT and then I decided to open a radio show and then I decided to do this. So the idea that they have to be able to be self-directed and own it and see something start to finish. I mean, you guys know you started a startup. And so what that takes, it's not like you just say, oh, let's just go do this and magic happens. You have to stick with it and you have to own that process. Um, And the last one of the competencies that's one of the most important to us is having an academic mindset. So that's when kids feel that sense of belonging so that they're willing to try things knowing they might fail. That they feel that sense of belonging so that they want to work hard, so that they feel included and empowered as part of that. Project-based learning has been an instructional method that's helping our teachers get at those six competencies in a super cool way. But we have other people doing that through a design thinking process, or we have other teachers doing that through a universal design for learning process. And that is what I think is helping us to move our district forward is at the pace that we've been able to is that we all know we're holding these competencies in common, but your method of getting there in the classroom could be through project-based learning, or it could be through design thinking, or it could be through something completely different and interesting that's out there that you figure out on your own. Yeah. So it's not necessarily like a rigid structure. Oh, you have to do this in order. It's more of like, all right, like here's in the right direction of where, you know, what we've seen recognized, what works. Right. Feel free to put your own kind of flair spin on it. That sort of deal with the teachers. Yeah. And I think getting back to your question on like people who are resistant to some of the change, which um, those people exist in every kind of business and organization known to man. Um, So that's just part of the work. Um, So I think for them, having a structure of a training around project based learning gives you some freedom to try things within some bounds. And then you grow beyond that and you go, oh, I don't need the structure of a protocol or of a format to mm-hmm. do that. Now I get it and I can run with it. So that's, I think, sometimes how we really get at some of the teachers who are hesitant to change. Like I said, it's never from, from bad intention no. that somebody doesn't try something. It's because they either don't have the confidence to go out and try it. They don't really understand it at the level that we do. We had a professional development meeting, so we meet with a team of teachers to help us plan district-wide professional development days. And it was an, uh, one of them gave us some feedback after the last meeting that really resonated with me. And it was my opportunity to reflect, to say, ooh, I live and breathe this work every single day, all day long. It's not fair to think everybody thinks like that yet sure. or th- lives and breathes in it the way I do. It's everyone I follow on Twitter. It's everybody I'm networked with. It's who I go see when I go to a conference. It's who I'm reading. Yeah. Um, so it was eye-opening to say, ooh, we've got to do some more frame setting for people so that we're always reminding them about why this work is so important and then giving them tools to go do it and permission to try things, knowing that if you fail, we've got you. We are here for you. My job is to support you. You're in front of our learners every day. Yeah, I mean, and that's when you think about the education system as a whole, like it, not much has really changed in the past 100 years. The basic core is still there. You've got one teacher in a classroom of 20 some odd students uh, lecturing. So it is, it, it's definitely a daunting task that you guys are trying to tackle here. And it's, it's kind of expected that there's going to be some 
trial and error, maybe not even error, but just learning from the failures that go. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a, especially in school districts that tend to flip around and do a lot of different things, a lot of different times, you know, initiative fatigue is like the definition of schools in a lot of cases. We've tried to focus on a few things that we really want to do well that we hold in common. And that drives a bunch of our strategic plan. And it drives all of those kinds of things because we're then committed to doing this work and this work only for the next five years. And that keeps us grounded in not saying, oh, if I just wait it out and I don't do this, eventually they'll move on to something else. And I just get to kind of stay in the box where I'm the most comfortable. Just kind of ride the wave until yeah. it passes over. Right. Like, I've had more principals than you've been in education, sometimes a teacher sure. will say. And so I that's the teacher that's sometimes resistant is that we haven't done that enough work around helping them understand the philosophical reason the work is so important yeah. and that school needs to change. I mean, it was based on a factory model. Mm-hmm. Um, and few of our kids will go work in factories anymore. And so what they will do is go out and invent all kinds of super interesting and new things that we don't even know we need yet. So we've got to help prepare them for doing that work and doing it together with other people. When we were filming at uh, Walker a few days ago, I was uh, talking with one of the parents there and she said that she works at, I believe it was Northwestern Mutual. And we were talking about the open classrooms and how, what the, the, her element, I can't remember what grade her um, daughter was in, but basically like, the classroom setting is so similar to what they're doing at Northwestern Mutual, the open concepts, the collaboration. Um, and that is just like, that's the, you know, the wave, the next, the, the future of this workspace. So kind of instilling these students with those values. I, it's, that's amazing. Like it, it needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. We would agree. Um, and it's also got some proven efficacy around closing those achievement gaps. Sure. So Wisconsin leads the nation and the black white achievement gap. And that's, horrible and it's super sad that that would be the experience that some of the learners in our state are having Um, but the people who have been doing the deeper learning work for a long time around our nation have found it to be a way to close those opportunity gaps Um, because they're really not outcome gaps it's not about a standardized test or something like that it's the opportunities that we have that then go back and change a whole community because people are then invested in that community and they have skills to give back to that community later on that go well beyond what would have been a traditional K-12 education. Sure, sure. Yeah, and especially uh, like some of the projects that the West Dallas is working on with the local businesses and the community. Tell us a little bit uh, about that. And especially, uh, you know, with you and you working in a small business, family-run business, starting up, how, how has that been like for you and the uh, district as a whole? Um, yeah, it's uh, been really powerful to watch our students actually out in the world doing real work. Um, So we have a group right now that's working with several other area school districts and some students from MSOE and from UW-Madison and UWM on redesigning some work at the zoo. So the way that they bring the coal to the train that goes around the zoo, right? So everybody knows about that. But what you don't know is the way they do that is really inefficient. So instead of hiring an architectural firm or an engineering firm to come in and look at their process and their system, they're working with students. And so our students go to the zoo and they're learning about that and they're working with people learning about engineering. Maybe they're going to go be engineers. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're going to go be a veterinarian from this time that they're at the zoo. Maybe they're going to do none of those things and they're going to say, 
why the heck are we having a train that still runs on coal and maybe reinvent a whole new thing that goes with that. Yeah. Um, but it's that opportunity to connect what you learn in school to the outside world. And um, our superintendent had an experience with one of our fourth graders who um, from Franklin, who they were doing the cardboard bowl project. So you have to design a cardboard bowl that'll hold a certain amount of weight in it, depending on how many kids are on your team and will float for real with just cardboard and duct tape. Sure. Um, and so the child said to the teacher, well, I really don't want to fall in the water. I really don't. Cause they were actually taking these boats into the pool. I really, really don't want to fall in the water. And so they went back and forth for a little while. turns out that the child didn't know how to swim. So we talked about that and life jackets and the whole nine yards and be a lifeguard and all these things. And then the teacher finally said to him, well, the only way you're going to guarantee you can stay in that boat is if you get the math right. And Marty, our superintendent, was the one there at that time. And he said, you could watch that child go, that's what math is for. Okay. <laughs> and off he went and nobody fell in the water. And, you know, he also found out a lot of really interesting facts about math that he was sharing that I thought, wow, okay, that's super interesting. But he understood volume and mass and weight and all of these things that were part of the fourth grade standards and part of the things that fourth graders needed to know, but he learned them to solve a problem for him. And that, that kid's going to know that math for the rest of his life. So those are the kinds of learning experiences where we want our, our kids out and about with the world. Um, we had, there was a story in the West Dallas now came out this morning about a student at Walker who they were talking about their community service projects and being a part of a global community. And they've been working with the mayor on understanding laws and how those laws work and all of these kinds of things. And so she got so inspired by this idea that they were going to do this food drive that she went out and did one on her own, raised 600 pounds of food um, to donate to the hunger task forces, I think, where she ended up donating it. But that even conversation around being a citizen and contributing back to our community and how do you as a young person have the right and the ability to be in charge and a part of that. All somebody had to do was have a conversation with this young lady and she went out and did that. Like, that's amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All about the empowerment piece yes. and, and all that. Yeah. And I guess that, that kind of touches base too. Like here in the mid Midwest, we have such a like brain drain problem, you know, retaining talent from, or they go to if they go to school or even after school, then they head to either you know Minneapolis or Chicago or one of the coasts. So kind of establishing those roots within the community and making them feel feel valued. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, and again, like you said, being raised in a household that was our families all sustained themselves off of a small business, yeah. and so in a small business, you have to be able to do everything. Um, and when you worked there for the summer, you never quite knew what your job was going to be. My brother was a truck driver for a summer. I was my uncle's secretary for a while. And so I learned a lot about customer service. Sure. Um, what a, was the business? A, a millwork millwork. Okay. So they do windows and doors. And once I could get him to the people's house, he's a super creative thinker. Once I could get him to the people's house, he would do such amazing work. I'd never hear from them again. Scheduling of creative people sometimes is not the easiest job in the world. And so getting him to actually show up when I needed him to be there, not always the easiest. So he would spend, you know, so I'd spend a lot of time like, yeah, my promise he will be there tomorrow. And once he comes, you're going to be so happy. You know, so in high school, I learned a lot about customer service and 
How do you treat people the right way to get them to return back to a small business when Home Depots are going up all over the town and sure. all around you? So, yeah, being able, that was a lived experience for me because I was raised in a household that, that had a family business and lots of our kids aren't, mm-hmm. you know, so therefore, how do we replicate some of those real life experiences? You know, it didn't make me want to go into sales or customer service or put in windows and doors. That was not the career path I chose based on that, but it was a skill set I developed that I've certainly used a hundred times since. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes back to, I think, at Frank Lloyd Wright, I can't think it was a play that they were putting on, but they were put, like working together, like the, um, the tech, the wood shop mm-hmm. teachers and the art teachers and the math, doing all these projects. So once again, that's kind of just like in the small business, all these different components yeah. of everyone coming together and all like a you know, cumulative learning experience. Yeah, and that collaboration even between the teachers um, on getting our teachers to say, okay, so why are you teaching kids in isolation how to use the saws and the equipment? And then they're going to a class where they're putting on a play, so they need to understand set building. So now we have the math teacher trying to help them with that, and then they're going to your class, and they're using that equipment to build something completely different. What if, the, what if that was just the same thing? What if that was the shared learned experience? The teachers will report a lot of times when they work kind of in those communities and all together, how powerful it is to just have that other set of eyes and ears to say, hey, what do you think of this? Or how are we doing this? And it provides some opportunity for kids that they just never would have had before. But teachers also are starting to say, ooh, sometimes this work is a lot easier when I'm doing it with someone else who might have different and interesting ideas as well. And it's not that you can't do the work on your own. Of course you can, right? But sometimes that work is a lot easier when you work with someone else. So we're starting to have more and more interesting collaborative partnerships that are coming up. Well, what if I taught a class with this person? That might be amazing. What do you think that would look like? And then my job becomes to try to figure out, well, what tools will they need? What professional development time? Um, Time has become a big constraint for us. Time's always a constraint for everybody, if we're being real. Um, <laughs> and no matter what you do, no matter what job you're in, in teaching, time is always a huge barrier to some of what we're trying to do frequently because now we have people going knee-deep into these projects. And when you get it knee-deep, it requires planning and thought and time to reflect and process that teachers don't get often enough. So we're busily working on how to create different ways to use our time so that we have more time for teachers to be collaborating with each other, for teachers to be working together in a time when across our nation and especially across our state and in our area, substitute teachers are really hard to come by. So what I used to be able to do was say, oh, hey, let me order a sub and then you and this other teacher can sit together and plan. That is not feasible. So we have to start thinking differently about how do we solve the problems that are becoming barriers to continuing to do this really cool work to take the kids out to have them work in a business or take them out to do some of these things like somebody has to make those phone calls and somebody has to do those things and as kids get older they get to do all of that but the five-year-olds can't really call the radio station to make an appointment <laughs> so the teacher still as has much to as do. i'm sure they'd love I, to i'm though. sure they would love to i'm not sure the radio station would have exactly understood what they were trying to do um from that phone call so we're trying to say what's the way that we support our teachers in doing this work and that's a little bit of where you guys come in for us as well as a partner is we also have to make sure our parents and our community understands the work we're trying to do and why it's so important. So helping to tell our story around 
what that learner experience looks like. And as I'm watching back some of the videos, listening to teachers say things like, I have such joy in my work. I cannot wait to get to work every day to see what these kids are going to do. That's it, right? Like That's what I want for the learners that that teacher is going to see every day. And that's what I want for the teachers that work for us. This work should be super fun. Mm -hmm. So we just have to figure out ways to support them so that they understand that. What do you think the, uh, like the future of education looks like? Let's go like, we talked about it's been the same for a hundred years. Let's go a yeah. hundred years in the future yeah. with Deidre. And what do you, what do you, what is the classroom? Will the classroom even exist in a hundred years? Let's start um, deep here. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good question. Um, and I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. What I do know is that our capacity as schools as that center of communities, that I think will be always a hard definition to change. So, you know, people go to frequently move their home or move into a community based on the schools and the reputation of the schools or the kind of schools, the works or the, the work the school district is doing. So that to me is the one piece of no matter what else changes that I can't see ever going away because people need an opportunity to feel connected. Um, and as we go into a really virtual world, there's really nice opportunities to connect, but then there's also ways that are the connections are becoming really unhealthy with some of the stuff that happens online. So it's hard for me to know because I can't imagine giving up the human connection of all being in a place together. I just imagine that a lot more of it will be, you know, more open concept, businesses coming into schools, schools really contributing to building the next, you know, wave of what's coming next versus kind of learning what already happened. Um, and some of that we have to do because that's the only way you know how to move forward. But I think that'll be an interesting in a hundred years to see what happens with that, where schools really do become more of a community center where you're going to it for the things that you need from it and from your opportunities to connect with each other. But it may not necessarily be the place where you go for your core source of knowledge. Sure. It just might be your place where you go to be a part of something and to connect with other people. Sure. Would you say eventually the goal would be to have, businesses reaching out to West Dallas School District and saying, we want to work with your students. We want access to, you know, all these bright minds that you're working with. Is that kind of part of the, the grand grand plan? Or Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we have some amazing business partnerships that we've had for years with some of our local businesses. Um, and that has been unbelievably cool. But to take some of that work to a broader stage, you know, we are wide open to working with anybody who wants to work with us. You know, I think businesses learn a ton from some of our kids sometimes, and they frequently have ideas that adults just wouldn't think of because they don't know what a box is yet to have to think inside of outside of it. Yeah. Right. So we once we get to that adulthood, we put in enough boxes that we start saying, oh, we have to think outside the box. But the kids don't know what the box is yet. Right. So they just think of interesting things all the time. So businesses being able to get in the minds of those young kids and then kids understanding what a business actually is or what a, a job would actually look like, whether that means they have to go to a two-year or four-year college, whether that means they could go right into it, whether they make a staff of the military, whatever that career pathway becomes for them. Yeah, I think that'd be amazing if every single one of our learners had that real life experience and that connection within our community, whether it's locally or across our world. Yeah, that is it. That's what we're looking for. Definitely. Definitely. Speaking across the world, one last thing also I want to talk on yeah. too is um, over at Walker, I believe you've had 
um, staff or te- educators from all across the globe stop mm-hmm. by and visit, right? Like yeah. that's that's pretty neat. Putting putting Wisconsin on the map. So you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that and what that's been like for? Um, and some of that was started with our original work around personalized learning years ago, sure. before I was in the role I'm in and Marty was in the role he was in, and um, we hit on a sweet spot of doing some really cool work and. Somebody said, ooh, we need to share that with people and tell people about that. So as much as I benefit and our teams and our teachers benefit from going to see other schools doing this work, um, there's been some books published that tell you, like, here's the deeper learning schools across the nation. And then those are the ones that we say, hey, let's go there and check out what they're doing um, because we can learn from each other a ton. But that work, somebody started a long time ago, and we do some of that through the Institute for Personalized Learning. So CISA, um, the state's organized into cooperative education service agencies. There's, I think, 10 of them, 13 of them, something like that across the state. And we're in CISA 1. So that means all the school districts in our area are part of this collaborative. um, And they run something called the Institute for Personalized Learning. So they'll facilitate scheduling if you sign up to be on their kind of tour site visits, they'll facilitate some of that with people coming from all over the nation and all over the world. Um, We've had people from China come and see some of what was going on at Walker. And now through the Institute, we have, um, you can go see our project-based learning high school, um, which is James E. Dackey High School. You can go see Frank Lloyd Wright, Franklin, see Mitchell Elementary. Um, You can see Walker Elementary. And I think we have one more that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Um, And it's an incredibly powerful experience, not only for somebody else to come in, but the reflection that you as the teacher get when somebody says, hey, why do you do it this way? And you get that two seconds to say, oh, I hope I know, right? Or, you know what? I'm not sure why I do it that way. Or, hey, that was purposeful and intentional. This is why I do that. It helps you as the person in that room to say, oh, that was feedback I got from somebody else who just didn't know what I was already doing and gave me a bird's eye view. Um, so it's been really powerful on both ends to be able to say, okay, here's the work that we're doing that we have seen closing up those equity gaps. And we've seen, you know, our students with disabilities not have the same achievement gaps or outcome gaps that other schools are, you know, that they might be having in other schools. Let's share that work with other people because we want that experience to be for every child, not just the ones that happen to go to West Dallas, West Milwaukee, but at the same time, when somebody comes into your space, and says, hey, have you ever thought about, you get that opportunity to go, no, I haven't. Thank you for that. Let me think about what I might do with that going forward. So it's been a very good experience, both for our teachers when they go other places and then for people coming into our district, both for what they get to see and then for the opportunity it provides for the teacher to have that time to really make sure that we're on the right page, you know, and doing what we need to do. And then it gives them an opportunity to say, hey, we have found some success with this and let's share that with you so that you can see that. Sure, sure. I guess out of curiosity, are there like any, or which countries, I guess, are kind of leading the path for this uh, deep learning, project-based learning implementation? Are there any that are really like, wow, like ground shattering changes or? Um, there's certainly some within the United States yes. that, that work is really focused around. Um, we do a lot of work with High Tech High, which is a K-12 system in um, San Diego. Uh, that they, They're a charter system. They're one of the first charter schools in the nation, and they've been doing this work for a really long time. Um, but they use an equity calculator for seats. So in San Diego County, it's 150,000 some odd students. And so if 20% of that population are students with disabilities, and 20% of the seats in that system 
are reserved for people for students with disabilities. So they're demographically representative of the larger population, which makes them demographically much more similar to West Dallas, West Milwaukee than you would naturally think. Um, and they've been doing this work for a long time. So that for us has been a strong partnership. We have some of their teachers. It's not sustainable to think that I can send 500 and some odd employees to California as much as that would be lovely <laughs> to do for everyone. We've taken quite a few, um, but the sustainability to getting that continued coaching as some of their teachers are now going to come here in January, February, and March. And then in June again to do some coaching with our teachers okay. so that, you know, once you get into some of that project based work, you really got to start thinking about like, oh, now that you're in it, the self-doubt that comes with that is huge. So we've got to wrap some supports around them to say, yep, that's a natural place to be. Here's how we can keep pushing forward. Um, but there's some countries around the world that have really pushed into China in particular, Holland, a few of those countries, a lot more um, play based instruction kids outside a lot more often than 15 minutes recess in the morning and 15 minutes of recess in the afternoon um, that are starting to see some really solid results, especially around the way kids feel about school um, with mental health issues being on the rise the way they are. That's an important thing for us to be really paying attention to are how our kids are feeling. Do they have the skills they need to regulate? Do they have the skills they need to seek out help when they need to? And, Countries that are doing a lot more with play-based education, countries that are, you know, areas that are doing a lot more with outdoor education tend to have stronger results around those mm-hmm. things, which is important work to be paying attention to. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. All right. One last question for okay. you, Deidre. What makes you strange on purpose? Um, it was nice that I've been listening to the podcast and therefore, and then also Chandler's kind enough to front load that question for me. (laughs) Um, and I thought about it a ton and he was like, oh, I'm going with the first answer I have. I genuinely believe, and it's something I've come to believe in the last couple of years is I've shifted my thinking kind of a little bit around the world and the way the world works from that empathetic lens that we are all a huge part of the solution. So my family and some of the people that work with me and some of my friends think it's really strange that I stop people on the street if I think their shoes look nice and I tell them that. Like, hey, I like your shoes. Hey, that's a nice dress. I have no idea. And I don't say it unless I really actually think they're cute shoes or a nice dress. (laughs) Um, Or I stop and make sure I open doors for people or I greet people everywhere that I go because I really do believe that that connection and that human connection that we need to have with each other is really important. And getting out and being a greater part of the solution in our community, as opposed to just admiring the problems that we have within the Milwaukee area, within West Dallas, West Milwaukee, within the nation. Um, my family, again, and my friends think that's a little strange. They're like, you will talk to anyone. And I said, I will, right? I don't know their story and maybe I can learn something from them. Or maybe that moment when I said, hey, that's a nice dress to someone I saw on the street is the moment they needed to hear that. And I just didn't know that because I don't know their story. So I think that's something that makes me a little unique and strange on purpose is that I really genuinely believe like one person at a time, we can bridge some of the gaps that are creating strife and conflict within our community. Absolutely. It's so easy to focus on the negativity yeah. rather than yeah. focusing on the positivity. Right. And what could look be. at each other from our assets, not from our deficits and find them in each other. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. Deja. Yeah, you're welcome. It. Thank you for having me.